And now that we've blessed the Lord, it's time to go camping, right? Why not? You know, I, I think that this is a great time of the year to go camping because, you know, many of us have obstacles during the camping season, like too many mosquitoes, right? There's no mosquitoes at this time of year. We don't have to worry about the, really the rain very much and the, the heat. So this is the time of year to go camping, don't you think? That's actually what God's Word says. After the people were, were reading God's Word and they were worshiping, God says, go camping. You got to check this out. Check out Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 8 through 13, and you'll see what I'm talking about. And um, it really is all about thinking about camping often gets you back to the bare essentials. It helps you think about the hard times and how much you appreciate those luxuries you have in life. And so God is actually saying in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 8 through 13, it's time to go camping. It's time to remember the, the hard times as well as the good times. Uh, do you, do you uh, celebrate the good times as well as the hard times? I mean, we love to sing the song, right? Celebrate good times. Come on, right? But we never say celebrate hard times, do we? And so um, you'll be, that song's going to be in your head all, all sermon long, isn't it? <laughs> But have you ever thought about celebrating the good and hard times? God actually calls us to do that. Because in the hard times, you also remember how faithful God has been. Um, This past week, I actually, uh, which I do every year, I I take time, I read through all my journals, I read through the calendar, I look through the calendar, I look um, at the books I read, and I I do an evaluation. I come up with like a 13-page document that just shows all the ways God's answered prayers and it's always astounding to me what God has done. And um, this has been a really hard year. Uh, Lori even said um, this year, she goes, it's like, it's like giving birth with a C-section. And that's what it feels like, right? We've, we've, we've gutted our church. We've done all these, this work, and it's been a hard year. And yet God is faithful. Do you realize that? That God is faithful. And so he tells us to go camping. And... Um, why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? And we're going to read uh, at Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 13 through the end of the chapter, verse 18. If you haven't found that, you can look it on the table of contents, or uh, you can also uh, Google it. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 13 through 18. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each one on his own roof, and in their courts, in the courts of the house of God, in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths for, for from the days of Joshua, um, that's another way of, of, of referencing Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very, what? great rejoicing 
And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. You see what? They were to go camping. Let's pray. God, would you help us to understand what it means to, um, to get back to the bare essentials, to uh, remember your faithfulness in wilderness times, to remember how uh, good you are in the hard times as well as the good times. And... Um, we think of Job, who says, though you slay us, yet we will trust you. We will, we will continue to um, know that you are a great God, and uh, we cling fast to you. And we pray right now that your word would, um, would help us, especially as we enter this new decade, Lord, that you would be our vision, and that we would be, uh, we would looking to the day where we can sing face to face, holy, 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 and that uh, we have so many reasons to bless your holy name. We pray in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Now look at verse 13. It says, on the second day. On the second day. Now often we might skip little, little you know, tidbits of information like that, but God never wastes anything. Every word in his word is important. And we always need to read things in context. And so you go, on the second day of what? Well, look back to chapter 7, verse 73, and we'll see what we're talking about, okay? It's the previous chapter, and it says in, um, in Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 73, so the priests and the Levites and the gatekeepers and the singers and some of the people, the temple servants and all Israel lived in their towns, and when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. Okay, well, big deal. What's, what's the big deal about that? The people had actually, after they had rebuilt the wall, they had gone back to just living their own life again. They had gone back to, to the comfortability. It's sort of like how Christmas, we have this big celebration, we have all these things, and then all of a sudden, it's January, right? We go back to our homes, we do all these things, and then, and then God gets their attention, right? We see in verse 13, back to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 13, it says, on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. So that second day is actually in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar. Of, um, that month is called Kislev. And it actually falls, we just passed it, from November through December. Okay? So God was calling his people in the Palestine, that's the land of Palestine, to go camping at this time of year. Why would it be at this time of year? Well, just like, like uh, for us, this is a little milder climate. It's, it's, it's winter. It's not, of course, it's winter like we'd have it here in Canada, but it was a milder time. It wasn't during harvest season. And so the people were to gather and, and, and celebrate this festival of booze, or I'm going to call it shelters, because I know if you might, some of you might say in a festival of booze, and that's not what I'm talking about, okay? Um, it's festival of shelters, and I know I'm apt to get this wrong. So festival of shelters, and um, it was, that festival of shelters was according to Leviticus chapter 23, verse 34, it was to begin on the 15th of the, of the seventh month. Now that's important because here's the thing. God shows up, he starts speaking his word just at the right time, just in time for them to be able to celebrate the festival. If he would have spoken it later, they wouldn't have, they would have had to wait a whole nother year to actually be obedient to God. So maybe God has you here today and in his perfect timing, 
He wants to speak to you about something. He wants you to take action. Have you thought about that? You're here for a purpose. God wants to speak to you and for you to do something with his, with his word that you're going to hear today. Now, last week we talked about getting ready for New Year's resolutions and how many have kept them already? Bro- how many broken your New Year's res- resolutions already? Wow, you guys are so disciplined. Or maybe you just didn't even have them. Okay, that's how, okay, that's how it works. I was talking to our family. Our family were gathering for a meal last night and, and um, our youngest, I said, like, what do you guys really want God to do this year? What are you excited about this year? And our youngest son, Luke, said, I'm so excited that this year I finally get to sit in the front seat. You know, because he's 12, and so he finally gets to move up to the front seat, and that's a big deal for 12, someone turning 12, right? But I got to tell you, as we said last week, the, the, the thing that could really change your life the most this year is not just the weight loss program or getting organized. It's actually being in God's Word, committing to reading God's Word. We gave you a Bible reading program. I would encourage you to be in God's Word. And um, as we learned last week from the first part of Nehemiah, chapter 8, we need to read together God's word. We need to uh, pay attention to God's word. We need to explain God's word. We need to elevate God's word in our lives. And finally, we need to worship God, the God of the Bible. And that's, that's really, really central. Let's go back to verse 13. It says, On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. Let me give you four applications, quick applications, just from this verse alone. The first is this. Keep coming back to God's word daily. This was the second day that God's people were reading God's word. It wasn't good enough just to have God's word for one day, but just as Jesus tells us later on to take up our cross daily, right, and follow him, part of that is that we need to read God's word daily. This is life. This is helpful. Even this morning as I woke up and, and I was reading through Luke, and I, I, I'm reading through Luke chapter 6, and I just came across, this is, the, this is the words. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who abuse you or hurt you. And there was a situation that uh, I know of in my, in my situation, my family's life, where I was like, okay, that's totally, I can't believe how living an act of God's word and how relevant it is just for even today. So if you read this every day, you're going to be surprised at how much it intersects with your life for that day. Okay? It's not just a thought for the day. God wants you to take action with it. And you need to keep coming back to God's word daily. The second thing is this, and and ladies, you can just tune out. Fathers need to lead their families in the study of God's word. Now, if you're not really great at, at, at study and all that, that's okay. We, we have resources for you. That's why we hired Pastor Kyle to be a resource to you and to grow in this. There's lots of great resources out there, but you need to take the first step. My, my wife, Lori, she's working on her master's degree in theology, okay? She can teach our children well. Sometimes I get her, what, you know, what does God, how would you interpret this? But I'm taking the initiative. Does that make sense? Dads, you need to do that as well. And so... Fathers need to lead their families in Bible study. D. Duke, a pastor, says this, Before acting, ask if this is how I want my family and church family to think and act. What a great statement. If you started just living that, Lord, 
is this how I want my family? If I was going to do this, is how I want family to act and my church family to act and think? If we start getting into God's word, this will help us be renewed by, by our minds. Thirdly, third application is study God's word together. This is, again, why we are, we are just locked in. We are so, if I could just ask every one of you to join a small group to read God's word, it will be life-changing. We need this. We need to grow. This is how the church is uh, exploding around the world in places like China and India. It's through gathering together and studying God's word consistently, regularly, weekly. And, and uh, so if you haven't uh, joined a small group, we'd love for you to talk to Pastor Jason and you can talk further about that. And so um, study God's word together. And then fourthly, consult those who've studied God's word the most. It's so important that you actually um, go to people who've, who've studied. And we have so many resources, don't we? There's, there's radio, there's TV, there's things on the internet. Now, we have to be cautious about this too, right? Because there's also some people on the internet who are so critical of others, making a living being criticizing others, and they're actually violating what Paul says, I judge no man's work, right? Now, if someone's totally out, out of line and contravening God's word and contradicting God's word, that has to be spoken for. But you've, you've got to also have, you've also got to listen to people's words, but their tones. And there is so much bravado that's happening online, isn't there? And we need to be careful with that. There needs to be a humility. That's why I, I commend to you first, the first people that you should go to and you want to know God's word better is our own elders, our own pastors. I don't say that proudly, but you, here's the thing, is you actually can watch our lives. You can, you, you're, we get close enough where you get to see and see whether they're actually living out God's word. Because some of these celebrities who, who are on, on uh, the TV and on the internet and on the radio, we're finding they actually have a hidden life. Isn't that true? So I commend, go to the elders, go to, go to Dr. Baxter, go to others who really um, are, are studying God's word and, and, and also um, uh, Frank Vandermeulen is another professor. Just watch these guys' lives, okay? Here's the warning, though. Here's the warning. When you give attention to God's word, when you really start giving attention to God's word, God's going to remind you of how you've not been paying attention to some things. And that's not just an ouch statement. It's actually something that God wants to lovingly say, come and do what I've called you to do. And this is what we discover here in verse 14, isn't it? And they found written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths or, or shelters during the feast of the seventh month. So all of a sudden they're like, oh no, we have not been following this. We have not been, you know, getting all of our, our all the, the bows and the, the branches together and living in shelters. We've been neglecting God's word. Here's a question I've been asking myself. I think we could all ask as a group. Is there anything that we have been neglecting in accordance with God's commands? Are there any commands that, that, of God that you have been neglecting? And maybe right now, God is tapping you on the shoulder. And it's time. It's time to, to take that next step. For some of you, one of the first commands, very clearly in the New Testament, repent and be baptized. I encourage you to get baptized. In fact, the water is ready today. Wouldn't it be great to start off the new year 
and get baptized. And if you have to run and go get your kids, I'm sure Pastor Kyle will be okay with this. If you have to run and go get your kids to watch you get baptized at the end of the service, great. We have a, we have a, um, a t-shirt for you that you get to keep. You, there's, there's shorts. There's all sorts of ways that you can, um, you can be obedient today. We, we're big on be obedience daily. Uh, maybe some of you um, had a really tough Christmas and there were some things said. And the command that you've been neglecting is forgiving. I always throw that out because you never get too far from doing life and all of a sudden you have to forgive somebody, right? And so maybe it's Colossians 3.13 where it says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Or maybe there's the command to serve or the command to give or the command, uh, you fill in the blank. What is God calling you to do? What have you been neglecting? In the case of the, the Jews, they're... In, in modern terms, they were called to go camping. Now, why were they called to go camping? It was to remember. It was to remember what God had done in the past. Remember when the uh, Israelites uh, were enslaved for almost 400 years in Egypt? And then they were to go into the promised land. They were going to go back to the land that God had promised to Jacob. And... Um, what did they do? They got afraid when they got on the doorsteps of, of the land of, of promise. And they doubted God. There were giants in the land. They were afraid. And so they doubted God, and they had to wander the desert for nearly 40 years. And so God had established this festival in Leviticus saying, you need to remember this 40 years of wandering. This is an important part of your history. It's referenced time and time again throughout the Old Testament and, and even in the, the New Testament. And, and we read places like Deuteronomy chapter 8 where God says, remember, remember how I fed you with manna? And you go, what is manna? Well, that's literally what it means. Manna means what is it, right? So when they said manna, they'd be like, what is it? What are we having for supper tonight? Manna. Okay, what is it, right? That's what, that's what they were saying. They, they were fed with quail. They, it says in Deuteronomy 8, verses 3 and 4, that their, their sandals never wore out. Can you imagine that? Their clothes never wore out for like 40 years. God was faithful. In the midst of this seeming discipline, God was purifying his people. And they were becoming completely dependent upon him. And so God says, I want you to remember this time. I don't want you to forget the hard times in the midst of the good times, in the midst of the celebrations. Do you see that? Now, camping is not always very glamorous. In fact, when Lori and I first got married, this is actually the tent we used. Um, we didn't have much, so we went camping in Colorado. We drove all the way out there. We had a great time. Doesn't the food taste better when you're outside, right? Your senses are more awakened. And I remember going camping, and we had a great time. And we, we didn't camp much as a growing up, did we, Mom? So this was a whole new experience for me. And so we camped, and as one kid came along, we camped, and those kid, two kids came along, three and four. Like, I don't know, we kept having more kids. And, 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 um, and then 2010 came, and we went on this long camping trip all the way to California from Ontario. And we camped the whole way. 12 national parks. We would sometimes be, you know, we weren't great campers, especially at the start. So like, you put up the tent, took an hour, take down the tent the next morning, another hour, 
you know, trying to gather all these four little kids around. And so guess by the end of it, it killed camping for Lori, really. Lori was tired of getting soggy, you know, food out of the cooler and always getting ice at Walmart and all those kinds of things. And um, she went a few more times, but now she likes glamping. Do you know what I mean by glamping? <laughs> Glamorous camping? So we go, if we're going to go anywhere, it's like a cabin or a cottage. That's, that's camping now, right? But this is the real camping. This is the real camping. We have this little discussion um, from time to time. And guess what? Scholars actually think that that's what happened with the festival of shelters. The people actually still followed this. They still from time to time followed this festival and observed it, but they didn't actually go out into the, the hills and get the, the branches. They didn't build the shelters. They're like, hey, it's, uh, it's a week off, right? But we don't really need to go out and get the, the wood. Let's just hitch up the trailer, right, and do that instead. I mean, I've always wondered why, why don't we here in southern Ontario, we have these glamorous houses, we're comfortable, they're air-conditioned, and then we go up north and we live in these little trailers, right? And we want to get back to nature. But it's still, we like our comforts. That was what was happening in this day. And God's like, no, you need to get back to this because you remember the hard times and my faithfulness so you can celebrate me. You remember the good times. We usually move towards being comfortable, don't we? And that's when we move away from God's commands. The, the pursuit of comfort usually leads to some compromise in our lives. Have you found that to be true? I have. The more comfortable I am, I usually forget about God. Forget to, to be iron sharp on, on following God's laws to the T. When we read God's word, though, and this is, this is what I'm hoping in my big prayer for today, is it's like smelling salts. It's, it's something that awakens us from our comfortable stupor Look at verse 15. They were awakened from their comfortable stupor, and it says, and they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns in Jerusalem. It's like a weekly email blast, right? Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booze as it is written. And so they obeyed. They obeyed God's word. And they really committed to a second exodus because, see, they had been enslaved for 70 plus years in exile in Babylon. Now they're coming back. God has, has reestablished them in Jerusalem and they're to reestablish this festival. They're to follow it again. And I love what it says at the end of verse 15. There's, there's four words there. As it is what? As it is written. What if this was the year where we live that out? As it's written, according to God's word, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do whatever God's word says. I'm going to follow it like quickly, immediately. As it's written. That should be actually the question we always ask is, where is it written? As it is written. Let's, let's commit to that this year, to the power of the Holy Spirit. As we continue to walk through this passage, we see that the people did 
follow and obey. They took action. Verse 16, so the people went out and, and brought them and made them booze for themselves, each on his roof in their courts and the courts and uh, the house of God in the square of the water gate in the square of the gate of Ephraim. So think about this. On their roofs, they started doing, building these, these shelters uh, in, like in the backyards. Actually, in what we would be equivalent of our church, they started having all these shelters everywhere. It says in the courts of the temple. Like, Wow. And they did so, where did they meet? Where was, the, where was the, more, the central location of all these shelters? It was at the water gate, right? There's two reasons for the water gate. Number one, that's where, that was where the reading of God's word was. This is the Bible conference grounds, right? This is the NBC of, of Nehemiah's day. And they're, they're, uh, they're gathered together to hear God's word because they were thirsty. They were hungry for God's word. But the second reason was this practicality, because at the water gate was the Gihon Spring. And the Gihon Spring was really close by. They needed water. And the thing about practicalities of camping is usually you camp close by water. I've learned the hard way, not so close to water that you get wet in the morning, right? But close enough so you don't have to bring the water too far. And so if we look at this map, we see that um, on this that they, they, as they obeyed God's word, there were two spots right here. So the water gate, did I get it here? There we go. That's the water gate right there. Okay, and there's the Gihon Spring is right in this area. And then the other side is the Ephraim Gate is over in this area. So the people were surrounding the, the whole part of, of Jerusalem and they were trying to obey God's word once again. I love this because maybe we've been neglecting God's word, but today is a new day, a day to start fresh again, to obey God's word and to surround, be surrounded by obedience of God's word. Many times in our, in our lives, we need to realize that it's during these hard times that God is most faithful and seen. Um, we see this, this says in verse 17, And all the assembly of those who returned from the captivity made booze and lived in booze from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun. That, that's Joshua. That was the guy who followed up after Joshua, right? Or after Moses. Joshua was the guy who followed up and was the leader as they went into the promised land. It says, To that day the people of Israel had not done so, and there was what? Very great rejoicing. Tim Keller in this awesome book, uh, Making Sense of God. And if you have like a skeptic in your life, this is a book and they're readers. I would encourage you to, um, to pass along this book. And this, would, this is what he says. And what's such a reminder to me as I was reading it. The biblical plot line reveals a story of God's repeated choice of the dominated and the wretched and the powerless and the marginal. God constantly chooses and works through the second sons, the ones without social power. And when he works with women, he does not choose women with the cultural power of beauty and sexuality. He does his saving work through old and fertile Sarah, not young Hagar, through unloved and unattractive Leah, not lovely Rachel. How often the man God raises up, Jephthah, Gideon, and Samson, is someone from a smaller tribe, a lower status family, or even the class of social outcasts, people who didn't have it all together. And then it says, when Jesus Christ encounters 
a respected male and a socially marginal woman, or a religious leader and a tax collector, or a religious teacher and a fallen woman, it is always the moral, racial, sexual outsider and socially marginalized person who connects to Jesus most readily. Have you found that to be true? Why? Because they know they need Jesus. And when we go back to the hard times, aren't we reminded that we need Jesus too? Did you realize... You can look this up in John chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus actually lived this out. God actually came down to earth and he dwelt among us. That literally means he tabernacled amongst us. He camped out amongst us. He wanted to live with us in the hard times. He actually, in John chapter 7 and 8, he actually went to one of these festival of booths because the people actually obeyed it for hundreds and hundreds of years. They continued on from Nehemiah's day. And here's the transition from Nehemiah to the gospel, from Nehemiah to Jesus. In John chapter 7, and you could turn there, John chapter 7, gospel of John chapter 7 and 8. I'm not going to read this whole passage, but you'll be very encouraged to know this about Jesus. After this, John chapter 7, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee and he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booze was at hand. So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples may also may see the works you're doing. They're kind of saying it tauntingly. For no one works in secret if he's to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus goes back to the festival of booths, and it's a hard time. His family's rejected him. Maybe that's how you feel today. His fellow Jews rejected him. But here's some amazing things that Jesus said during this time at the festival of booths. Let me just highlight a couple of them to you. Um, First of all, we see this awesome statement that, um, that in, in John chapter 8, verse uh, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It might feel so dark, and yet Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Back in chapter 7, we see this awesome reference. And remember, it's at the water gate where a lot of these people would camp out. Listen to what Jesus says, and this will give a whole new perspective. Look at John 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those he believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Does it not make sense now? Where Jesus becomes that fulfillment of that thirst and the word, the incarnate word that the people are reading back in Nehemiah's day is now living, living amongst them, camping out amongst them. And then lastly, in John 8 verse um, 31 Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Exactly what we sang about earlier. It's Jesus and the truth, his truth that sets us free. 
Doesn't that give us so much hope? So much hope. Let's remember that the hardest time in history, in human history, was when Jesus, the innocent Jesus, was murdered and went to the cross for us. It's in these hard times that God shows himself to be most visible, as I said earlier. As our worship team comes, I want to I wanna close with this story. A couple of weeks ago, we, um, we hosted a time to remember where people could come up, and we had a tree right here. People could put up a card of people that they had lost, the name of someone that they had lost, and a little note to them. I think we had 55 so people, and there's been some people there who had been holding on to their grief for 30, 40 years, and it was a very powerful time. There was one young man who came, and um, he actually, uh, he came to just remember his, his loved ones, and um, he ended up hearing God's word, and that very night, he gave his life to Christ. And Lord willing, two Sundays from now, he's going to be baptized. In the hard times, God shows himself very faithful, doesn't he? And so today, whatever God has brought to your attention that you've been neglecting, you can do that. Maybe you say, I need to get baptized today. You've been holding off. Don't hold off any longer. You come as we sing this song about God's amazing grace. There's other things that God wants you to do. Do it immediately. Do not delay in obeying God's word. Let's close in prayer. God, I pray right now that you would, you would, through the Holy Spirit, you would cause in us to be obedient to you. And Lord, thank you for your grace, your amazing grace, that you give us a second chance. And maybe we've been neglectful, but we're getting back to your word, getting back to worshiping you. We're, getting, we're paying close attention to your details, the details that you have in following you. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty and matchless name. Amen.